Hey, yo, welcome back to Beyond the Diamond. We are your hosts, Colby Rush and Hunter Broadbent. Remember to follow us on Insta at Beyond the Diamond Podcast and Twitter at Beyond the DIA Pod. Let's get right into today's show. All right, we're excited to welcome on a special guest today, minor leaguer and the Angels organization, David McKinnon. David, thanks so much for stopping by. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me, man. All right, so um, can you start a little bit with your background, kind of growing up, playing college ball, getting drafted, and what it's looking like right now? Yeah, so um, growing up, I grew up in Easton, um, where Colby's from, where myself is from. Are you, where, are you from, uh, are you also from there, Easton, yeah. or are you? Uh... I'm from Dedham. Oh, so we're all from Easton. Oh, you're Dedham, okay. Yeah. So we're all in the same area. Um, yeah. But... Yeah, I grew, grew up there, played Little League Baseball, same place that all the Eastern Little Leaguers played. So, kind of just grew up. That was my favorite sport, but I played all – I played basketball and soccer as well. Um, then when – got to high school, continued to all three of them, and then sophomore year, stopped, stopped playing basketball after sophomore year and kind of just focused on the soccer and baseball aspect of it. And then that ended up getting me a scholarship to play both sports at college. So college, I played baseball and soccer at school. Um, wasn't really – I knew I liked baseball more, but I wasn't really sure what one I could play professionally at that time. So I kind of was just like the first two years, I was kind of like, eh, like I like them both. I'm good at both of them. I started in both of them freshman year. So we'll kind of see like – what sport happens and my sophomore summer I played in the Cape and uh the Cape Cod Baseball League and I ended up getting I made the all-star team and like did really well that summer so I was like I mean that like this is the sport I love and this is the sport I want to play professionally it's a sport I always have wanted to play professionally so focused a lot more on on weightlifting and like gaining some weight for the following year. So I could hit for a little bit more power, never really hit for much power in college, but I think that was more mechanical, but I put the weight on that I needed. So baseball happened, soccer didn't, and I don't regret anything. It was awesome. And I'm now looking forward to continuing the professional baseball track whenever we get to play again. Yeah, that's kind of the next question that I was talking about. I mean, it's obviously been a crazy year with everything. Can you talk a little bit about how uh, the shutdown and no minor league season affected you and just like how you even stayed in shape during quarantine with everything going on during the spring? Yeah, so I mean, it's a little bit, obviously it was a little crazy. It's not ideal if you're being like having to train for baseball, especially up here because you have to train inside for the winter, especially. So like when things shut down, it's like I remember last year, like the original shutdown, I was in Texas and like everything closed for a couple of weeks and at home workouts were a thing. And that was just the worst. Like it just wasn't fun. Like you couldn't lift weight. It was all body weight stuff. And it was just, it, it was tough. So like those first two weeks of sh- the shutdown was just brutal. But after that, when things started opening up a little bit more and you could like work out again, it wasn't too bad. So last summer when that original, like when they canceled our season completely, um, I had just come off a uh, blown out knee in 2019, so I didn't really get—I didn't get to play at all that season either. I played like two weeks, blew my knee out. I played a bat, and I played horrible the first two weeks. Just couldn't hit a baseball, and then blew my knee out. So it was just a rough two weeks. So then I didn't play 2019. Then 2020 came, 
was cleared to play after the ACL surgery and then they came in completely. So kind of went home um, first couple months in Texas where my wife's from and did some training there. Focused a lot on mechanics. Um, my father-in-law and brother-in-law know a lot about baseball. So my father-in-law played in the big leagues for a couple of years. He's a relief pitcher, so we hit with him. And then my brother-in-law's with the Red Sox right now. So it's kind of cool that we're all just super into baseball. So we all kind of work, work together to try to get our swings good. And that was kind of like two months there of just trying to get our swing ready, just in case we could go back. Cause no one knew when we were like, if we were going to go back or not, we all thought, Oh yeah, maybe June, maybe July, we'll go back for like half a season. And then obviously it just kept getting pushed back, pushed back, pushed back. So I ended up in Massachusetts to visit my family for a little while. Cause it got kind of hot down in Texas. And when I was there is pretty much just working on just lifting and staying in shape. Um, I would hit a couple times a week uh, live off a pitcher from the Blue Jays that I grew up facing. Um, but yeah, it's kind of a grind, just like being out and rehabbing for so long and then getting like you're all ready for the season to start. And then they're like, no, nope, no season. So it was like, it's been like two years coming now that you're just working really, really hard to keep your body in shape and all that and be ready for whenever your name's called. And then you just, it's just a waiting game now. Yeah. Uh, I remember when you came back and uh, we're at the gym, we talked a little bit about like how COVID was affecting like the players and the owners and how the owners were uh, mistreating a little bit of like the players association. Uh, mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about like what exactly like the dynamic was during the shutdown and like how that's transitioned to now? Yeah. I mean, I feel like, um, the players like the public really looks at the players and they're they like blame the players for like wanting to get paid what what they bargained for originally like you have a i don't know the average big leaguer has a five to ten year window if they're up there for a long time so like everyone was blaming the players for not playing but in reality, like the players are the ones taking that risk going out there and playing with COVID out there. And they're the ones doing the traveling and all that stuff. And like people are just, just kind of destroying the players because they weren't going to get paid their millions there as much as they would have got paid. So I don't know, like you only have a certain window and it's the, the top, top talent in the entire world playing the sport and everyone was kind of blaming the players for not playing, but it, it, I don't know. It was two ways. It wasn't just the players and it wasn't just the man, like the, it wasn't, it also wasn't just the ownership, you know, it's like, it was just a tough thing. Cause like people are taking risks in order to play. And like, obviously their contracts were one thing, but like the season wasn't going to happen. So it was just, it was just an, a tough, like it was just a tough all around situation. So I mean, I'm obviously a player, so I'm always going to be on the player side. But, like, right. it's tough because, like, on an ownership standpoint, like, they can't make as much money as they normally would because people aren't in the stands buying stuff and, like, paying for tickets and all that stuff. So it's, like, just a tough situation because they have to pay the players and they won't have as much money to pay the players. So I see both sides. And it's just a bad situation in general, you know. Yeah. So hopefully just everyone can be back in the crowd and we can have relatively normal season where 
ownership can make the money they need to make in order to pay the players. Like that's obviously the ideal situation. Yeah. And it sucks that it's had to come down to some minor league teams getting cut too. Um, as a result yeah. of that. Um, do you know anybody that's been affected by that? I mean, obviously there's like 40 teams, I think it was that yeah. are getting cut out. Yeah. So that kind of stinks too. Cause like you kind of have memories in certain places where you played, like I played in, my first team I played for was the Orem Owls out in Utah, and like that was the first team I played for, and it was a fun summer. Um, and that team is like they're not not in existence; they're just now a an independent ball league. Like that league just turned independent ball, so like that's kind of tough, you know, because um, you have so many memories there. It was fun to go there and play at that ballpark. Is like in the middle of the Rocky Mountains is cool, and then we also had our our low a teams also not a team anymore so yeah it's just a, i mean a lot obviously like ownership gets affected because like people own those teams like that's their livelihood so like certain teams are gone um and like my teammates some of my teammates some of my best friends in the organization obviously got released because like they're just downsizing the minor league in general you know so it's like like you uh a lot of just just i, I just know a lot of people who have gotten released not just with like it's just across all of minor league baseball so it's just definitely been a tough time for the baseball world um, in the minors, especially obviously because we haven't got to play last year. Like that's what we're that's the dream. Like you got to play in order to get to the bigs, and if you can't play, like you're not really taking the steps towards the big leagues. So kind of stinks because you're just waiting, 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 and then you see a couple of your friends get released, and it just stinks because now like those are your buddies that you spend every single day with. Um, on a day-to-day basis during the season, and then, like, your buddy's gone. Like, he's just released. He's got to figure out what he wants to do with his life or if he can catch on with another team. But it's hard to catch on with another team when they're downsizing, you know. So, just a tough situation, all like, in general. So, I mean, it is what it is. You just got to keep grinding and keep plugging, and hopefully, you know, it all works out. Yeah, definitely. Uh, a follow-up to that. Do you have any idea of what this season's going to look like for you? Have you been given any indication of what it's going to happen? Um, Not really, honestly. Like, I mean, obviously I'm getting older, so hopefully, like, I get a chance to get up there this year. But that's every, like that's that's just your goal always, like, to hit as good as you possibly right. like, for as a hitter, to hit as good as you possibly can, move up as many levels as you can for wherever you start. No idea. Like, you don't get told where you're starting. You don't get told any of that stuff, you know? So, um, you just – wherever you get put, like, you just got to rake until you're at the big leagues pretty much. So, I mean, it just depends. Like, you don't really know anything. You don't – like, we don't know when we're going to – when we report to spring training, I don't know if they know when we're going to report to spring training just because it's such a crazy time. Like I, I'm sure they don't want the facilities totally full um, when all the big leaguers are there. So I'm sure like probably be decreased capacity or something. So who knows? I have no idea. Like we don't know what's going on yet. So we'll see. Hopefully we get word relatively soon so you can make plans and stuff, but you really don't know. So you just got to stay ready and make sure you're getting in your work on your own. Yeah, it's tough to social distance when you're packing like a 65 man roster into a little clubhouse. Yeah, but, um, and like the biggest thing is like the organizations are like 250 to 300 people, like in a building at or I mean, there's a couple of buildings spread out on different complexes, but it's like you got coaches, you got front office people, you've got players, like and there's just a, a lot of people in one place. So like 
there's just spring training I'm sure is just going to look a lot different than it has in the past. Yeah. And I mean, it's a crucial time for a guy like you to try to open up the eyes of the major league staff a little bit too. Yes, exactly. Um, God. So many people now have their kids focus on like specialization in just baseball and focus far too much on the nitty gritty. When -hmm. should they just have fun playing the game instead? And as someone who excelled so much as like a multi-sport athlete throughout colleges in soccer and baseball, can you discuss how important it is for kids to be well, a well-rounded athlete and play more than just baseball growing up? Yeah. I mean, I think that's the toughest part. Like now it's, now there's so many AU programs. Like there wasn't AU back when I, well, there wasn't AU cause I played it, but there wasn't AU programs for like eight year olds. You know, it was like, once you got to 13, if you were good enough, you then tried out for an AU team. And like, there was only, I don't know, 20 to maybe 20 in Massachusetts. Like there wasn't many AU teams. Now there's like 20 in just this area. So it's like now if like you can write the check, you can play AAU baseball, you know? So it becomes more of, I don't know, is your kid good enough to play or is are you just kind of, I don't know. For me, it's more like let your kid have fun, figure out, figure out what sport he likes the most without being pressured into doing it. Um, and then when he decides, like, there's no need to only play one sport. Like, athleticism comes by playing other sports. It's not just by playing one sport only, you know? Um, so soccer was huge for me, just footwork and everything because goalie, like all it was, was my footwork. Like that's all we worked on quick feet, being able to be explosive side to side. And that's really played for, well for me for um, defensive purposes. Like I didn't always play first, like in college, I played some third, I played some first high school. I was at shortstop, like, and my side to side, a bit, like my side to side explosiveness was always good because I, I attribute that to my, my goalkeeping and just being explosive, like a step in the dive, you know? So for me, I think it was just a big thing, just quickness. And like, it also kept me in shape. Like basketball and soccer kept me in shape. I had to run because baseball, you're not like running. You're just not usually running that much high school. Yeah. You'll run a little bit. Cause like there's punishment and all that. And that's high school sports. But like, I think when you're specializing in baseball and little league, like, and you're just decide, Oh yeah, baseball is my sport. I see a lot of like unathletic chunky kids in little league now where like when we were playing little league, it was like, all right, literally like baseball was still my sport back then, but it was April. It was like March till like August. And then I played soccer for September through November. And then basketball was December through February. And then I was back to baseball. So it was like, I was always playing a different sport, which kept me active. And like, I always liked the sport I was playing at the time. Baseball is always my favorite, but like, I always enjoyed playing the sports. And I think that just kept me in shape and it didn't make me tired of baseball. If I played baseball year round when I was younger, it would have, I think been tiring. Yeah, it's like you guys might have seen the video going around Twitter the last few days. There was like a seven-year-old that was like, I've spent the last year trying to up my exit velocity, measuring it, which like, obviously it's good to improve, but just a little bit extreme there. Oh, 100%. Like all the saver metrics is great. And like that's all those type of stats and increasing exit velo and increasing bat speed and increasing all that stuff's good. But it comes a point where, like, have fun, figure it out. Like, you don't need to be training that stuff at such a young age where the kid's going to probably get burnt out at some point. And I'm all for, like, like 
it's great to like, yeah, maybe that's your sport, specialize in it, do a lesson once a week, once every two weeks, but still like, it's not bad to play basketball too. Like play basketball on the weekends. It doesn't have to be like travel basketball, but play rec basketball, like make sure you're moving, play rec soccer. Um, and just be an athlete, like go outside and like play manhunt, do something, you know, like I don't remember ever being inside when I was younger. Now I feel like I'll ask my lessons like, Oh, what'd you do this week? And you're like, Oh, I played Fortnite or oh, I played this. I was like, I mean, that's what I do now. Like I play Fortnite and I enjoy my time like on that stuff. I go golfing. Like I do that type of stuff. But like when you're little, just get outside. And like, we were always playing like kickball or wiffle ball or football outside with the neighborhood kids. And now it's like, no one goes outside anymore. It sounds like even when the weather's nice, no one goes outside. It doesn't sound like so. It's just different times. Like the technology has obviously technology is good, but it's kind of ruined kids' childhoods in the way like everyone's got a phone at 10 and they're on their phones or they got their PlayStation five or four or whatever they got. And they, they can just be on technology all day long and they don't got to go outside and do anything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Technology's good to a point. Yeah. I mean, yeah. and like, like athleticism is created at a young age. It's not like you just all of a sudden are athletic, like right. later on, you know, like get outside, go for like, just, just run around, cause some mayhem. Like we were just always running around when we were little. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, as a guy that grew up hitting buckets on buckets of wiffle balls, I feel you there. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um. So a little bit different now, but can you talk a little bit about the uh, transition from college to the majors I, uh, or to the minors? I read yeah. a thing saying, talking about how you like changed your swing a little bit when you went up to the California League. Yeah, so like obviously you're always having to make adjustments in baseball. So it's not like, like even like the best players still make adjustments, you know, like there's always some sort of like some little thing you can do to get an edge. So whether it's making a swing change, getting stronger in the weight room, like being more efficient with how you move your body, like there's always something you can do. So there's a little bit of a swing change um, where I became a little bit more upright and I started getting my bat on plane earlier. I was kind of in and out of the zone, but it's been like a process where when I started 2018 in Iowa, I was in and out of the zone. I was a good singles hitter. Got to California, I started hitting extra base hits, but it wasn't like I was putting balls over the fence consistently. So then that offseason, I actually played in the fall league in 2018. And then I had a shortened offseason, just kind of struggled. Well, I hit really well when I got back to spring training in 2019, kind of doing the same stuff. But my timing was really thrown off when I got to the beginning of 2019, the first two weeks, and then I blew my knee out. So like it ended. So I was like, all right, something needs to change. I feel like I don't have much of a timing mechanism. I just pick my foot up and put it down. When I'm not perfectly on time, I'm screwed. Like I just can't get the bat consistently to or the barrel consistently to the ball. The pitching's getting better and I need a easier way to get my foot down to a consistent position. So like I did some research. Like I had a lot of time in my hands because I was rehabbing my knee. And like the first three months you can't, I can't swing because it's a lot of rotation into your knee. So I'm rehabbing and like all this weightlifting and all this stuff to get my knee back to normal. And I'm doing a lot of research and talking to our hitting coordinator every day about how, like what I need to be doing and all those different things. So the, the our weightlifting guy kind of came up with these different things or different weightlifting type things, not even just to train my body to move in a better way, more efficiently, 
So when I did that, that started, started getting better. My knee started getting stronger too. And then we got back in the cage and I had done so much research over like, what do the best hitters do? Like, and what do they all have in common? Like the only thing in common they have is like when their front foot hits the ground, they're all in a very similar position where their hands are about shoulder height, almost like on their back shoulder, their foot's on the ground, their hips are not opened yet. They're like still closed and both arms are almost at a 90 degree angle. So I was like, all right, I need to get to that position. That's what all the best players that ever have played the game are doing and like have done forever. Like it doesn't matter how you get there. It doesn't matter how you start. It doesn't matter what your move is to get there. As long as you get to that position consistently, you'll be in a consistent position to hit the baseball. So like, that's kind of been what it has been lately. But like, so 2018, I was really working on the hand path to the ball and now it's kind of putting everything together trying so to answer the question college baseball was a lot of just me being athletic and bringing my hands to the ball and just hitting the ball hard like i hit the ball hard all the time but because the mechanics weren't always correct and i didn't know anything about mechanics i wasn't able to generate the type of spin on the ball to backspin it over the fence or anything you know so when we when i started diving into the mechanics in 2019 after i blew my knee out and started to work with our hitting coordinator every day it became a lot easier and I understood my swing a lot better. We were able to make changes pretty quickly. And now the changes result in me backspinning balls. Like my exit below went up to about, it went up like eight miles per hour after we made these changes. So, which is a huge amount when you're 25 years old, you know, 26 years old. Cause like, you're not usually increasing exit below eight miles per hour. Like that would just, so just moving, moving your body more efficiently. And like, just, I think, better coaching all that type of stuff um and pro ball and like more technology um just gets you to be a better hitter i guess i guess that that's how i would answer the question better technology better weight lifting better coaching me understanding my swing better and then just being able to do it every day one-on-one with your hitting coordinator is like huge it's unbelievable so that's where i learned the most i would say in, in rehab Yeah, that's awesome overview. Um, and that's another thing too, like with the technology A Northeast college might be a little bit behind what Vandy or Florida has at their resources. Like some of them might have better facilities than major leagues, but then Northeast school, once you get into the, into the program, you really got to grind. Yeah. And like, that's, I think that's like what, what one of the things that was awesome being at Hartford was like, I had to grind still, like it was cold, like nobody, like you don't, like you got tough guys up in the Northeast, you know, you got guys that like, if you do draft them, you might need to work a little harder with them with mechanics and stuff and like figuring stuff out. They might not have those tools initially after the draft, but you can make them better because they're going to work their butts off where like those kids that are down in Florida, they got it a little easier down there where they can go outside, do whatever they want all the time. And they don't got to grind as hard. So sometimes, I mean, like once you get to the pro ball, like, whoever grinds hardest is going to, is going to get there, you know, like, so like for me, I'm trying to just grind hard every single day, no matter what, whether it's in the weight room or just working on my swings. And I'm not going to take the most swings anymore because like the most, like I used to think, uh, I just got to get, get my swings and get my swings and get my swings in. But like reality, I'd rather take some, like get like do my drills correctly with uh good intent and good effort and then get 
15 to 20 good good game swings in and then call it a day you know more like more quality over quantity now yeah um so about like that grind what was the transition what's the transition been like from moving to each like uh like single a to double a double a to triple a what's that transition been like for you so i haven't been like dealing with i got hurt but um i haven't got all the way to triple a um or even double a yet um because i've been hurt for so long but and COVID happened but like i was in rookie ball too and when i got drafted and that was more like it's just the pitching like everyone throws hard so it's not like like all of a sudden you get to like one level and everyone throws way harder. It's more the accuracy of their off-speed pitches and if like and the accuracy of their fastball. So like in rookie ball, they all throw fastballs for strikes, but they don't know exactly where the strike's gonna go. Could go right down the middle, it could go like they'll miss spots a lot. And then their off-speed pitches, they don't really know where it's going. So then you get to the single A baseball, and then they just slow A, everyone could put their fastball where they wanted. And they all threw hard. Like everyone throws hard now. That's just reality. So everyone, if you're a starter, you're usually 88 to 95. And if you're a reliever, you're usually 93 to 100, somewhere in there. Like whether, like, right like in that area. So like everyone's throwing hard now. Um, so most of the, so the starters in low A, they didn't really know where their off speed was going, but they knew exactly where their fastball was going. So they're working more on off-speed. And then when you get to high A, they know where their at least one off-speed pitch is going, and then they can throw a second off-speed pitch. So they know where their breaking ball is going, and then they have a changeup. From what I hear from double A is it is a lot more like they have two off-speed pitches that they have a good idea of where it's going. So it's just like as you get higher up the levels, their stuff gets better, or their stuff, I wouldn't say stuff gets better, their location gets better, but also the umpires get better. The zones get a little smaller. So I think as a hitter, I, I do good as we go up higher because my eye, that's kind of like my tool. My eyes are my tool where uh, my hand, hand, my bat skills, like hand eye coordination is really good. So the more the pitch is in the zone, the more chances I have of barreling it up. You know, when you're all over the place, I don't like those at bats as much. Right. Yeah. I think just about every hitter can agree on that one. Yeah, that's why the big leaguers like it's just such a like those those guys are so accurate that it's easier to obviously they're they're nasty so it's harder to it's it's hard to hit but when you know the ball's gonna be over the plate and you can trust that you're not gonna get hit in the head all of a sudden like it's a little easy it's a little bit less anxiety when you can sit in the box and know this guy's probably gonna be somewhere around the zone. Yeah, yeah. Um, kind of building off that question, Colby had um, you talked about it a little bit already, but. Uh, the fall league, obviously that's, that's a great experience right there. Um, is there like added pressure? Cause you know, the talent you're going against and the scouts in the stands are like, once you get on the field, you're just kind of playing your game. Um, and also just like, how odd is it to mesh with guys that are normally your competition across the field that you're all on the same team? Together yeah. That was, that was really cool actually. Cause like there's only six teams and like, I think our team was the angels prospects, the, Red Sox prospects, the A's, Cubs, and Tigers. So there was like five teams. That it was like seven of seven guys from each team, each organization that were on the team. So it was really cool to just meet new guys that you play against like during the season, and then you were all of a sudden on the same team. 
which was really cool. Um, and now there wasn't really added pressure. It was more just like knowing that everyone – it's like an all-star league pretty much. It's kind of like the Cape for college, but it's for professional baseball. There wasn't really added pressure just because there are so many scouts at regular games anyway scouting you that, yeah, you know there's probably more scouts and there's like GMs that go to this, but – not really added pressure because GMs go to regular games too. Like they come and check in on everyone. So it's pretty cool. I wouldn't say added pressure though. I'd just say better competition. Yeah, definitely. A lot of guys that end up being major, major leaguers going to that. So obviously the organization yeah. thinks highly of you. A bunch of guys uh, that would de- yeah, debut in the, within the next year or two. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, looking back on like draft day, which I know was a little later being in the 32nd round, but what was like, what was like the months and days leading up to it? And then the day of, was there a lot of anxiety or was it just like, what was it like for you? Um, so like I originally, I thought I was getting drafted my junior year. I had a really good junior year. Like I had an okay senior year by my standards, at least. But my junior year, I hit like 400. So, or I mean, to, to be exact, I hit 392. I remember. I, I was over 400 and I screwed it up on the last game. Um, but yeah, it was just, that was more like I was super excited and then the disappointment happened. Um, and I mean, everything happens for a reason. Like I, 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 like I knew God was like in control of the situation. And then I ended up meeting my wife in the Cape that following that next summer or like two, like a month later, I met my wife. So like, it was crazy, but I was like, all right, I'm okay. That I didn't get drafted now my junior year, but this following year is more like, I don't got nothing to lose. Like I'm a senior now. It doesn't really like, like nothing, like you don't have any leverage, you know, you're not getting paid regardless. So that's kind of how it is senior year. Like junior year, if you get drafted, you'll get paid a little bit more just cause you can go back. You can say, now nah, I'm going back. Give me more money. That's how the draft mm-hmm. works. Like when you're a senior, there's no leverage anymore. So I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to grind it out. I'm going to have fun. Um, going to have fun with my buddies. Um, and I just struggled to begin the season to get anything going. I really was bad. Like I was like, I was hitting like a buck 30 through the first like four week, three weekends. And so I think if I hadn't had those first three weeks of the season, those first like 10 games, cause college season's only 55 games or so. So, you struggle to start. It's kind of hard to like ha- any have any sort of good average at the end of the year. So I was in like a buck thirty after the first 10, 12 games. By the end of the year, I was up to like three thirty. So like it ended up being good. But if I didn't have those first three games or first twelve games of the season, it probably would have been up where I normally am, like three seventy. So, but that was more just like you know what? If it happens, it happens. I'm a good hitter. I know I'm a good hitter. Um, when I get to the when I get to pro ball or if I get to pro ball, which I was told I should be 25th round to 40th round senior year. Um, when I get to pro ball, I'll, uh, hopefully I can learn some stuff and make some adjustments. I'd never really had an off season where I could just focus on baseball. You know, I've always, play, I'd always played soccer. So being, it'd be awesome to just focus on baseball and have then be able to get taught some things that I need to be able to improve on. And then, be able to make those needed adjustments. So it's been a process. Obviously it's been like three years since I put, since I got drafted, but where my swing is now compared to where I was in college is just an unbelievable difference and just how my body moves and how it works. And yeah, it goes, I, I worked on it really, really hard, but I've learned a ton of stuff from 
the guys that have taught me stuff. And I'm just super thankful for the coaches I've had and the guys that worked with me during rehab and everything. So. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, do you just have any advice in general for like a college kid that might feel like they're on the fringes of being drafted kind of to set them apart? Yeah. I mean, for me, it was never like, it was never like, uh, I'm going to, I was never that guy that like after he strikes out was going to run back to the dugout. I was never that like, I'm like, that's not, it's not. So like when you need to hustle, you hustle. Like when you need to get like your job done, you get your job done. So like, like, yeah, you hit a ball, you run, run as hard as you can to first base, but like that extra stuff, like no one cares about that extra stuff that you like, that's what no one cares about that extra stuff. Like be a gamer, you know, like that's my biggest thing. Like go out there, be a gamer, grind out your at bats. Like everyone, like any scout likes when you're a grinder, like, like you go out there, you grind out your at bats, you're a hard out for that pitcher, you know? But don't be like that coach's suck up kid. Like no one likes that. No one likes that guy. So just grind it out as much as you can and like let the chips fall where they may, you know? And when you get there, if you get the chance to play professional baseball, it doesn't matter if you're going to be a first rounder or a 40th rounder. Yeah, the first rounder probably has a little bit more of an advantage just because he signed for a lot more money. They have a lot more invested in that guy. But it comes down to you're both drafted and you both have a chance to make it up. So, like, you'll have to grind a little harder and you'll probably have a little less chances as a lower rounder just because there's not as much invested in you. But if you get the chance, you're going to have to grind a little harder than everyone else. So I feel like I've kind of done that. And I'm like, all right, I know, like for me personally, I saw that I didn't get drafted my junior year. And this is how I thought of it. Junior year, I didn't get drafted. That's like 1400 picks right there. Right. In the draft, give or take. Then the next year I was drafted 955th overall. So I was like, dang, they literally think there's like 2,200 people that are better than me. And I know for a fact, there's not 2,200 people that are better than me. So I've just kind of always used that as like a, there's not 2,200 people that are better than me. And I'm just going to keep working until I'm one of the top 750 in the big leagues. So that's what I've kind of used as it. And there's always constant reminders to me that people just don't think you're as good as you are. So like, I'm just going to internalize that. And like, I'm not going to say anything when people are like, Oh yeah, people are saying this, like, like, uh, like they don't think you can do this. I don't think you can do that. Like I'll just internalize it and I'll just continue. I'll just remember it, remember it until it fuels the fire until I get up there. So I just try to keep it so that I can improve as much as possible and use what people think that I can't do as something like, all right, if they think that there's probably some truth to it. So I'm going to work on that and make sure I can do that. You know? Yeah. Put some kind of chip on your shoulder and Colby yeah, and I are both I'll big motivational guys. So we can, yeah, can big motivation. Well, shout out to UConn. They didn't like me. They didn't want me. So um, <laughs> they didn't want me. Yeah. And it was the same coaching staff. <laughs> so, um, I remember that BC, like none of the big schools wanted me. Um, so I remember it's always been like that for me. So um, went to Hartford and kicked UConn's butt four years in a row. Um, but we actually did. We won four years in a row. But uh, for me, that's what it was all about. Like I'll remember, I'll remember when people like when people say something like that you're not good enough. So 
I'll remember it always. I'll remember in high school. I remember it in college, and I'll continue to remember it in pro ball, and that'll continue <laughs> to be like the the adding fuel to the fire. Yeah, all that stuff can be a blessing in disguise. Oh yeah, definitely a blessing in disguise. But yeah, I mean, you just you gotta be able to control it. You can't be mad at people. You just gotta be like, you know what? This is just gonna it's gonna fuel me. It's not gonna hurt me. Yeah, it's exactly. an extra chance to prove them wrong. Yes, exactly. Uh, so with the draft, how was it like, uh, you had an agent to negotiate your contract, right? So like, how was that like, um, so there's like, not what really was that negotiation process going on? Um, and like, you're not allowed to obviously have an agent in college because you're right. a college athlete. So you, people have advisors, like advisors that end up being <laughs> your agent once you get drafted. Um, but yeah, I had one and he wasn't good. Um, my junior year. And so I just switched over to my, one of my teammates, um, after senior year, after my, after the draft, I switched over to a different guy and he's been awesome. Um, good guy. And they don't have to, they, they just take care of like equipment type stuff, like orders and all that stuff. And they're pretty much like investing in you, like hoping you make it to the big leagues, like, because they're buying you stuff like, and like saying some, some equipment that you need hoping you get to big leagues and you get to arbitration, that's when they get paid. So they don't get paid until arbitration. Unless you right. sign for a lot of money, then they get paid part of your um, signing bonus. But like, they don't get their big pay until you make the big leagues. That's how it works. Yeah, and living off that minor league salary probably isn't very easy getting by. No, I mean, awful. Unless you sign for a lot of money, like you're, trying, you're, you're grinding it out in the offseason. So I'll do lessons, in which I love doing lessons. Um, but obviously you need to prepare your body to play too. So it's definitely tiring when you're having to do like workout, excuse me, workout like two hours, then you go hit for an hour and a half with like your buddies. Like it would only be 20 minutes if you were hitting by yourself, but you need people to throw to you and you need a break. So there's another hour and a half. And then you have like three or four hours of lessons. It becomes a long day. So you're grinding pretty hard where like that first rounder is probably only hitting in lifting and then he's done you know yeah yeah so it's a blessing in disguise like the lower the round you're drafted in the harder you're grinding in that offseason the harder you, gr- you the harder you grind that, that's how i treat it obviously that's not true for everything like i know tons of top 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 rounders that they they work their butts off but i also know they're not having to really do a job either <laughs> on top of it yeah yeah definitely and um, it's got to be tough living in New England your whole life. And then you have to go out to the West Coast time zone to be doing that grind, too. That's got to be a big adjustment. Yeah, that was crazy. We, when, we, when me and my wife got moved from Iowa to California, like there's a two-hour time difference. So, And then I flew out and she had to drive across the country. So like I was super – like. I just had anxiety the first three, the first three games. She wasn't there. We were on the road and like, she's driving across the country. And I was just like, Oh my gosh, just please get her there. Okay. Like it was just crazy. So just a whirlwind. Like you just, all of a sudden just you have to move across the country, you know? But I remember like those first couple of games, it was seven at night in California. But to me, my body felt like it was nine at night to start because of Iowa. And I was just exhausted by the end of the game. Just so tired. Cause like you're used to, east coast central time and then you're out in california all of a sudden and it just is tiring (laughs) that's definitely the toughest part people don't realize like your body clock is just different than what 
time actually says sometimes. Yeah, for sure. And then what's the, I know I've heard, I've heard stories about like travel in the minors being brutal and stuff. So like, what's that like for you? Well, I mean, I think being a Northeastern, like a Northeastern college baseball player has definitely helped because you're going on bus trips a lot down South. Like I know we didn't fly everywhere. So we would go, we would, we'd drive to like Duke. We'd do some crazy bus trips, you know, we'd fly like once or twice a year, but if it was drivable, we were driving. So Mm -hmm. it doesn't compare to that, honestly. Um, We've had long, we've had, I think the longest bus trip I've been on is like nine hours, 10 hours, probably 10, but like we would take 15, 14 hour bus rides in college. So I just think I was well prepared for that, that like the leagues we've, I've been in lately just haven't been too, too bad. I think the toughest part, I'd rather just drive five hours and stay overnight for a couple of days. The toughest ones are like those awkward, like two hour drives where you, but you can't stay. It's like, uh, if it's within a certain distance, they make you come back. So I think that's the toughest where you're like 11 AM you're gone driving and then you don't get back to like 1 AM. Those are just long days. Yeah. And it'll probably be even tougher this year with like trying to keep you in a, a bubble or probably not staying anywhere too long or alternate sites, even it whatever will be that'll look like. Yeah. I hope it's not too much different. I hope it's, uh, I can see capacity limits uh, in stadiums, but I hope it's not too much different in regards to travel. Um, but we'll see. I, I really don't know. We, we just, I, we won't find out either until spring training probably ends, you know? So. Yeah. All we can hope is that they speed up those vaccines so we can, we can get back to a normal yeah, minor league we baseball. Can watch baseball. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah. Um, you talked a little bit about, uh, Connor Wong being brother-in-law. Do you train with him at all during the off season or does he live further away? I'm not sure where he's living now that he's with the Sox. Yeah. So I'm with, obviously I'm with the angels. He's with the Sox, but we both like when I'm in Texas, um, I'll be in where we're both in the same, like we're right next to each other pretty much. So he spends his off seasons in Texas and, uh, the Houston area. So do I some some parts obviously we visit my family too up here in massachusetts which i'm in massachusetts here for the holidays but definitely visit um my wife's family too so we'll be spending a lot more time down there this off season so that i can actually get outside to work out and like hit because it's kind of hard up here it's you're constantly inside there's not too many pitchers you can face up here down there is a lot more so it's kind of nice um so yeah, we hit about four, we hit four or five times a week together, and then we'll go golfing together all the time. So it's it's fun. He hits the ball way yeah. farther than me. He hits the tee, like the golf ball way farther. He just hits nukes, but we see each other a lot. <laughs> Must be some uh, some crazy Thanksgiving football games. <laughs> Don't sell yourself short either. You hit nukes too. I do hit nukes, but he hits like Bryson DeChambeau nukes. Yeah. Well, I guess the Sox knew what they were doing when they included him in the trade, huh? <laughs> oh yeah, no, they definitely knew what they, they they knew what he was doing. He hits, I mean, he it's a given he hits nukes in in baseball, but he also yeah. hits nukes in uh in golf too. So, it's fun. It's always friendly competition. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. All right. Well, this was a great time talking to you. I know our listeners will definitely enjoy this. I assume Hunter had a great time too. Oh yeah, awesome! I mean, especially for just yeah. our second show, this is 
this is yeah. one hell of a way to get the ball rolling. <laughs> and, get um, the ball rolling. Tip for you, um, if you ever are working with Brian Butterfield with the Angels, talk about the Patriots with them. <laughs> okay. I will. <laughs> uh, my dad's with the Sox. That sounds so good. Thanks for having me, experience. guys. I appreciate it. Your dad's yeah, with yeah. the Sox? No problem. Yeah. Um, so I just had some experience with them, so I wanted to pass that along to you because he's the uh, infield instructor for yes. the major league team up there. Yes. Hopefully I'm up there and I will talk, talk some Patriots with them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, good luck. Yeah. Awesome. Best of we luck. wish you the best Thank with you that. Guys. Yeah. Appreciate it. It's big year coming up. Thank you. So Amen to I'll, that. Uh, yeah. We'll I'll keep an eye on you. Yeah. I'll keep an eye on your guys's uh, programs to see how you're doing. Thanks. Yeah. All thank right. you so much. Yeah. Thanks for having me guys. Appreciate it. No problem. See ya. All right. All right. We'll talk. Well, All right. Like we guys, said that, that was, that was awesome. That was, that was awesome. And remember for our next interview, if you have any questions you want us to ask our guests or just any questions you want us to answer, tweet us at beyond the DIA pod or DM us on Instagram at beyond the diamond podcast. Um, and thanks again, Dave, if you're listening uh, and we hope to see you again. Yeah. I mean, he's just got such a cool perspective. I mean, pretty much everything we talked about, we could spend a few hours breaking down right now, but um, yeah, what just stood out to me the most was him talking about the minor league uh, situation, what it's going to be looking like with pay cuts and teams going down and it's just some kind of time for them. And, there's so many guys that are getting the short end of the stick right now. So hopefully grinders I mean, like him can stand out. Yeah. And you think about it's January 6th as we're recording this, our colleges, if they haven't already are this week are telling us what the like go back plan is, what baseball is going to look like. He still doesn't know what his season's going to look like. Yeah. That's crazy to me. Like that's a minor league player and he doesn't know anything. I mean, for a guy, especially like him, that has a lot to prove not having played for a while, it's tough. I mean, obviously, you want to just be able to focus on the playing. But when you don't know where you're even going, what spring training will look like, what your season will look like, that's a lot of added stress that you don't want to have to have. Yeah. And I mean, like he said, he, he's been in, he was injured for a year, then he had COVID. So it's like a two year shutdown for him, basically which is both good and bad, like he said, because it gives him more rehab time. But also, that's two way, two years away from like lo- real live pitching that you can't get back. And he, he's not young either, like he said. You only can do this for so long on a minor league salary. So it's it's tough for sure. Yeah, I mean, there's only so, so long a uh, live BP can go in terms of replicating what the actual competition is like. I mean... Yeah, just got to hope that things can get back to normal soon because there's so many guys just like him that are that are struggling right now, having to just grind through. And uh, like you said, especially being in the Northeast doesn't make life easy. Yeah. And I liked how he talked about, too, like he didn't really want to say it, but like you could tell he was hinting at like the media's kind of was kind of playing up the players versus owners debacle because yeah. he's an he's obviously has the inside source as a player kind of. Because we obviously, as outside fans, are seeing it as owners versus players, like it's war. He kind of made it seem to me like, no, it was kind of not like that at all. The media made it seem like that. Obviously, yeah. the players want to play, yes, and they can't make their money unless they play. 
the owners want to make their money from concessions and fans, obviously. But it was a lot more civil, it seems, based on how he explained it. Yeah, I mean, it was tough, too, especially with the narrative of the season had to be imposed by Manfred. So the media took that one and ran with it. But it's understandable. Both sides want their financial gains and what they deserve. I mean, I'm more sympathetic to the player's side because, of course, they're there to play a game and shouldn't have to worry about this. But it's very understandable what boat everybody is in. And they both have the agreement that it's best for them to play baseball. So, yeah, I mean, he had a great perspective on it. And hopefully it's not as bloody as it seems, especially with the CBA coming up next year. Yeah, no, I agree. It Tough situation, but it sounds like it's going to work its way out. Not as bad as it seems. Yeah, definitely. Um, I liked um, I liked how he talked about like the internal motivation chip on his shoulder. That really hit home for me because I know a lot. Like, there's a lot of people I know, myself included, have been told, "Oh, you're not good enough to do this. You're not good enough to do that." And that just like him saying that as like a professional athlete, semi-pro athlete, is like, oh, so they face it too, like. They have to go through that from day one, being told, being drafted in the 32nd round of the MLB draft, being told 2,200 players are better than him, which is just a preposterous number. And playing like, I think having that attitude about it just like is a great way to go about it. And I, I love how he was doing that. Yeah, absolutely. Like we said, that's something we're both pretty keen on. And to be able to go from a 32nd round pick with all those guys taken before him to a guy the organization thinks high enough to send to the Arizona Fall League just like two years later. He's already on the right track there. And um, now rehabbing the injury, that's just another chip he has. But uh, yeah, it's it's a tough situation, but that's a motto that everybody in life, not even just a baseball player, can take into it is if somebody passes up on you, you're going to want to do everything in your power to prove them wrong. Yeah, it's a great it's a great way to go about it. I loved it. Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, another thing I found interesting was how he explained like the North growing because we're both from the Northeast so and we're both managers at Northeast schools so we we know the Northeast lifestyle college ball how much those guys grind and stuff and the road trips so it was kind of cool how he said oh yeah minor league road trips all everything you've heard about them yeah that compares nothing to college ball in the Northeast that's kind of funny to when he put it like that yeah. I mean, it's tough, too, in the Northeast, considering you're taking a bus ride and playing like a midweek game and then going back and then maybe going to Florida for the weekend. And there's a lot more. You know what you're going to get in the minors. It's more consistent. They'll go to a bus ride, three games, go back home for three games. It's yeah, it's not as bad as it's played up to be. And it's obviously improved a lot over the years, too. I mean, you probably look back into the 80s and 90s. I'm sure it's a lot better now than it was then. But yeah, still a grind, but might not be as awful as some people might think. And I mean, growing up in the Northeast too, with like the grind of playing winter ball, that's definitely like that definitely puts a chip on your shoulder when you get drafted late too, for sure. Because you're already you're basically born into that grinding every day, day in and day out, having to work. I like to say like hard work beat the famous quote like hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. Yeah. Like that. That's a great. That's a great way. That's basically what he said because because first those first rounders, 
Now, granted, now, granted, I bet a ton of them work. Mike Trout's not just sitting. It wasn't just sitting there in 2012. Yeah, no shot. But, but also, also, they, they, they're kind of like just gifted into that world. He has to, he has to grind his way up to the top. And even then, even then, he might still not make it. Yeah, I mean, obviously, an organization's want to do, going to do everything in their power to prove that a guy they gave a five million dollar signing bonus to to go in the first round has the talent that they thought he did when they drafted him and get him up to the show. And I mean, nothing against the guys in the other rounds, but they're not going to get as many looks. So they have to go out of their way to prove every little ounce of talent they got. And obviously there's plenty of people that have done it. Like Mike Piazza's the most famous example going in the last round. Uh, Josh Taylor has had some success for the Red Sox being undrafted. So it's far from impossible, but there's a lot of hard work and a lot of, chips on your shoulders that go into that process. Yeah. I mean, just I mean, you just talked about how much is swim change and how much mechanics play a role. Just moving from, just moving from uh, college uh, to college uh, to uh, 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 rookie ball. Rookie ball. Yeah, yeah, the pitching changed a little bit, not as much, but the hitting piece was a huge change for him. How he studied, how he studied so much, like immediately hitters, what they do and what they do. That was really cool. That was really cool when you put it in that perspective of how they let's see what they all did. See what they all did. They all did this. They all did this one exact thing. How can I? How can I change my swing to get to that exact point? If I do that, if I do that, how much is it going to improve? Oh, my exit velocity, my path, my my launch angle. What, how can I how can I those improve all those by changing this one thing? Yeah, I mean, as we all know, baseball is a game of adjustments. There's no easy anything given to you. Like you said, the pitching, you'll start out with guys that have no idea where the ball's going. And then you get to guys with a little better command. There's an adjustment you need to make at every level. And it seems like he's he's doing good with that so far, but it's very important to keep in mind um, how much of a process that is. And kind of along those lines a little bit, I really liked how he talked about the benefits of being a multi-sport athlete. Um, it's just something that's so much been in the news with like 10 year olds getting Tommy John and some of the crazy stuff like that. But being a well-rounded athlete is hugely critical to being athletic and just having that mindset. So um, I really like his background with soccer and baseball. I think it's just a great story for so many people to follow. Yeah, being yeah, just being well rounded, well rounded, playing outside. I mean, playing outside. We kids, we would do it all the time now. All the time now. Even where even where subjective is staying inside, staying inside. I know since I know quarantine, since baseball has gone, 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 gone to the gym or gone to baseball, gone to baseball, played video games. That's it. That's it. Especially with online school, it's not easy. It's not easy. But like kids, really, kids really don't do much outside anymore. Outside anymore. We're not really kids. We're not really kids anymore. But. Just it's just sad that like manhood, sad, like, manhood, manhood thing is not a thing. You bring that up to you bring that ten year olds, they have ten year olds, they have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, that is so sad. I mean, yeah, video games are they're something. I mean, sure they have their benefits, but let's be real here. There's nothing more beneficial that a kid can have than going outside and just playing with his friends. And I don't think that makes us sound like any old person saying that. It's a great benefit for your health, for your athleticism, for everything. So if you're serious about a sport. You need to be spending time playing it rather than just sitting at your desk all day. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, but yeah, I think that pretty much hits most of the points he talked about. That was just, again, an awesome experience. And thank you again to David for joining us today and giving his insight. Yeah. 
Yeah, it was a great. Yeah, it was a great two week two. I think, uh, I think uh, next week will probably just be us two. Be us two. Week after, we're hoping to get someone, and then we're on and back to college. So hopefully, we'll get our guys on every week, rotating between UConn and Fairfield. Guys, guys. Yeah, that's going to be exciting. I'm really looking forward to that. Um, but next week, even though it's just us, we have an awesome episode coming your way. It's one that both of us have been excited about for a long time. Um, talking about MLB marketing, like Colby talked a little bit um, right off the bat of this show. But that is a, a must listen because we both have some really good ideas that we're excited to draw up and, and see what you guys think. And like you said, shoot us a tweet at Beyond the Diapod. Or DMS on Instagram at Beyond the Diamond Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. If there's any good ideas, we'll mention them on the show because that's the thing in life. Always open to new ideas. Um, yeah, tweet so. us your yeah, tweet us or DM us your marketing ideas. We'd love to hear them. We'll give our opinions. We'll add them to the pod next week. Next week. All right, guys. See you next time on Behind the Diamond. Behind the Diamond. Thank you. Thank you. See you later, guys.